For the first time in the increasingly tight U.S. Senate race in Missouri, Attorney General Josh Hawley and Senator Claire McCaskill met face-to-face in a debate in St. Louis. The two tackled issues that have dominated the campaign so far, including health care, immigration, and taxes. Hawley felt that he is a better representation of Missouri, especially after the state voted for President Donald Trump by 19 points in 2016. It's time we had someone in Washington who wasn't part of the old battles, who doesn't owe anything to anybody, but who is going to go and represent the people of the state, who will stand with the people of the state every single time, who's, a, who's proud of our way of life, who knows it, who loves it, and who rep- will represent it. McCaskill positioned herself as somebody who could bridge the partisan divide and work with Republicans in an increasingly polarized environment. Campaigns are a time that we highlight differences. But I think they should also be a time that voters take a hard look at which candidate can do more than criticize their opponent. On this edition of Politically Speaking, Joe Manis and I break down Thursday's debate and how it will affect the rest of the campaign. Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Lufius Alfa Romeo, offering test drives of the Alfa Romeo Giulia, the 2018 Motor Trend Car of the Year at Lufius Alfa Romeo in Fairview Heights. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio in St. Louis on this gloomy Friday afternoon is... Colleague Joe Manis. And we're just uh, on the heels of the first face-to-face, one-on-one debate between Josh Hawley and Claire McCaskill. You were one of the questioners, along with KSDK's Mike Bush... Judy Woodruff and uh, Ruth the Zell of the Nine Network. Yeah, right now I'm operating kind of on fumes. I don't know about you, but yeah, it was. I'm doing great. I got like seven hours of sleep. It was it was fabulous. (laughs) I mean, what did you think? I mean, before we talk about the substance of the debate, and I don't want this to. I don't want to spend a lot of time navel gazing, and I also don't want to spend a lot of time like patting ourselves on the back because I think that's silly. Mm -hmm. Um, But there was a lot of hard work that made this happen. And I thought that it was a very substantive and well-structured debate. I know that there were some people on Twitter who were like, well, debates aren't going to make a huge difference in affecting voter behavior, which may or may not be true. But I'm always of the mind that it's better for candidates to debate issues face-to-face than to just subject voters only to ads or or press conferences. Yeah, I think it does – Especially a debate like this one, which had a lot of media coverage. It was run on a lot of TV stations, a lot of radio stations. I think that it does provide the average public who don't hear these people all the time like you and I and some others do um, to get a sense of, A, what they stand for, B, what they're kind of like. I mean, because while they do have a, I'm going to, a kind of a show face, so to speak, um, quote unquote, while they're on stage, they want to present their best self and this and that. You do get a little sense of what they're like. And also, people want to see the interaction between the two um, because part of it's just pure interest, you know, whether or not they can't stand each other. Some of that can really come out. But I think, though, it really does highlight the race itself. 
you know, the race itself. So it's not just these little ads that you mentioned. It's two real people with real ideas who believe strongly that their views and their party's views are the way to go. And we're not going to decide, like, who won or who lost the debate. Honestly, I didn't really think either candidate did exceptionally bad or exceptionally well. It, I mean, it was – I would I would punt and say it was basically a draw. Well, both of them were well-informed. And I think in some ways with the debate, you almost have to wait a number of days if there was something that sort of leaks out. But there weren't any of these uh, – a st- stunning moments that are occasionally in some of the presidential debates where there's this big gaffe or something like that. There were no big gaffes last night. If you strongly believed in what Claire McCaskill stands for, you probably came away saying she did pretty well. If you strongly believe uh, in what Josh Hawley stands for, you probably came across afterwards saying he did really well. I do want to address a question that wasn't asked, and some Republicans were upset about it. There was not a question about the Supreme Court or Brett Kavanaugh. As you explained on Twitter, there was supposed to be, but because there was so much back and forth between Claire McCaskill and Josh Hawley throughout the debate, basically the the questioners ran out of time and they couldn't ask it. Is that basically what happened? Yes. (laughs) And just, I mean, I'm not going to get into all the ins and outs, but we had a meeting uh, that morning right after our first rehearsal. So this is Thursday morning. And I'm not going to get into what everybody was saying, but we were going through. There had already been a list of questions that had been prepared by various people who had gone through all the questions that people online had submitted. And some of the people who were were the questioners in the audience who had reached out saying they wanted to be one of those questioners, they'd already been interviewed. So, um, (laughs) So the point was, we're like, okay, which questions do we use? What order do we use? Now, I know some of the people that were big on the Kavanaugh stuff um, were like, oh, well, you should have definitely asked that. Well, basically, we knew that we would probably only get between seven and nine questions. We, We put 10 together. But the thing was, there were certain questions that were high on people's lists who had emailed in or the people who were going to be in the audience. The Kavanaugh question was not... So when we're trying to decide what the order is, frankly, and I'll, I'll be upfront about this, I strongly lobbied to make sure that we had a wall question about the wall because the candidates really haven't, either one of them talked a lot about it. And that one was several people um, who had emailed in or called in uh, wanted that. And so I advocated that that one should go before the Kavanaugh question because, frankly, we weren't going to find out anything new on either side about the Kavanaugh thing. Uh, Josh Hawley was going to repeat how he thought the whole Kavanaugh hearings were a circus and that Kavanaugh was mistreated. McCaskill would have been talking about how she decided to vote against him because of the dark money. She was troubled, quote unquote. That I means that's what she had said in her statement weeks ago about some of the accusations against him. But the point was, when we're weighing, okay, which questions uh, would really provide some new information, and that was the reason. So we, so actually, Judy Woodruff was going to ask that question. There was some stuff that was related to it that she was going to uh, mix in. And, um, but we, you know, we were prepared on the fly to change things 
or rearrange questions or whatever, depending on how the candidates were engaging on some of the other questions and if something naturally flowed into something else. And the bottom line was, in the end, that one got axed. And uh, I know some people aren't happy about it, but I personally think that based on the decisions we had to make at the time, I think it was the right decision. And I will stand by my belief that we ha- if we had to pick between Kavanaugh and the wall, which we did, the wall was the place to go. I think we got some really good responses from both candidates about it. And frankly, that was also a Republican question. So I don't think the Republicans should be upset the fact that we got both of them to talk extensively their views about the wall. And just briefly, because I do want to move on, I I do think that just because Missouri doesn't have a large Hispanic or Latino population doesn't mean the candidates shouldn't be talking about immigration or immigration policy when they have the same vote as everybody else. Good point. So let's talk about the actual debate. Um, There were a number of topics that you can listen to on our website. We're not going to go through all of them, but I want to go through four of them today. The first one is health care, because that was probably the topic that took up the most oxygen of the debate. Interestingly, Josh Hawley kind of on the outset of the debate went on the offensive against Claire McCaskill on the issue of health care, which was interesting because that has been the primary attacking mechanism that Claire McCaskill has used against Josh Hawley. And the thing we need to underscore is that he did so with a question that had nothing to do with health care. Yes. Now, when, when we got to health care, which was your question, the first thing that you asked Hawley, because you asked a kind of a separate but a related question, McCaskill, was how are you what how are you going to replace the Affordable Care Act if the lawsuit that he's a part of ends up being successful and a lot of, and if a lot of the protections, including protections that insurance companies have to cover pre existing conditions and not, go away. And not raise the rates. That's this is, also part of this it. is what Holly had to say in part. The lawsuit is about Obamacare. It's about getting rid of Obamacare. And yes, I think we should repeal and replace Obamacare because I think that people with pre existing conditions like my boy are being held hostage to the dramatic price increases that they're being forced to pay. I was just talking to a, a family in Sykeston down in the boot heel telling me about their son who has a pre-existing condition. They're used to, the, his insurance, uh, it used to be $300 a month. Now it's $1,200 a month and increasing. Now again, I, I, Senator McCaskill seems to make light of that, but for most families, that is simply unaffordable and unsustainable. And this is why we need to repeal and replace it. I favor forcing insurance companies to cover people like my own boy with pre-existing conditions in the law. There are a number of ways, Joe, then to take that uh, into effect. Uh, you can do it uh, like the state of Maine has done it with a form of reinsurance, which is what I've talked about. You can do it with federal exchanges. You can do it with direct subsidies. There are multiple ways. My question is, will Senator McCaskill support any plan, any plan, to protect people with pre-existing conditions that isn't Obamacare? And this is uh, McCaskill's response when you asked her, how would you make changes to the Affordable Care Act? And also to weave in the response to Holly's Holly's answer. Well, I think it will be difficult because they've been in charge. They promised repeal and replace over and over and over again. They're in charge. They couldn't get enough Republican votes for their replace plan because it was going to hurt people so much. Republican senators were reluctant to vote for it. What we need to do is come together and fix the parts that we can fix. I agree with Josh Hawley that we can do more with reinsurance. We have a bill to do that. It's a bipartisan bill with Susan Collins and Senator Nelson. Mitch McConnell promised to vote on it, and he will, he's refused to let us vote on it. There's another bill where we could do a copper plan that would bring more people into the exchanges at cheaper rates, 
once again, we are not being allowed to vote on it. And let's really drill down on what Josh Hawley is saying. And by the way, I am so sorry that you interpreted my retweeting of a blog that I was being critical of your family. You have a beautiful family. You should be very proud of them. Your son is uh, cute, and I can see that you and your wife love them very much. So I certainly had no intention. I'm not running my campaign on attacking somebody's family. Somebody is, but it's not me. Um, I, I would tell you that it is, this is all about a campaign now with um, Attorney General Hawley because he has no backup if his lawsuit is successful. The prescription drug benefits and Medicare go away. The insurance companies get a payday. There's no more free prevention programs. No more kids on your policies till they're 26. Uh, no more limit on how much insurance companies can spend on their CEOs and hiring people to deny your claims. Obviously, no protection on pre-existing conditions. So, Joe, you asked the question, how do you feel both candidates um, reacted or responded to your question? Well, there wasn't much new ground, uh, although I will mention something. Holly made a reference. He's talking about reinsurance or doing something on the federal exchanges. Just to clarify, if his bill, I mean, if that lawsuit goes through, there are no federal exchanges. It's gone. They have to recreate him. Uh, the, the marketplace exchanges where people now can go to get health care coverage if they don't have it through their job. So I was surprised that he mentioned that because I thought, I mean, I, I thought surely he knows his the lawsuit would do away with all that. The lawsuit, by the way, also does away with the Medicaid expansion in a number of other states. Now, um, he also, one part that we didn't play was that he was hammering at her over the roughly, it's roughly $700 billion that uh, the Affordable Care Act, it doesn't technically cut it from the Medicare program, as he said. Basically what it does is it reduces the insurance reimbursements for the Medicare program, and then that money was instead redirected for free health screenings and some other stuff. So I think they both of them, I mean, he still contends that that's a cut, um, McCaskill did, was able to explain, no, 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 it's really this. Um, all the fact-checking groups have said, you know, her explanation is correct. But my point is it was helpful because the viewer or the listener at least got a sense of what all this brouhaha was about. And I think from that standpoint, while it wasn't flashy, while there wasn't a lot of name-calling, I mean, the little bit that you paid from her was one of the little little jabs there, one of the few by either side, but I think it was very educational, and I'm, I hope that people, regardless of their view on it, at least got a sense of here's, here's what the arguments are. This is not a simple issue. It's very nuanced. Very, very much so, and I, I implore people who haven't watched or listened to the debate to do so in its entirety. We're only going to be playing sections from it here because we don't want it to be like a two-hour show. I want to talk about tariffs, though. Because even though, like, tariffs may have been, I guess, a more prominent issue earlier in the campaign than it is now because of the Kavanaugh stuff and health care, I mean, it's still really affecting actual farmers in Missouri yes. quite a bit. Because even with the new trade deals in Mexico and Canada, if they go into effect, still doesn't solve the China issue. And that was kind of a point that uh, Senator McCaskill made in response to a question about tariffs. Yeah, the tariffs are brutal for Missouri. Um, 
you know, we, I love where I live. I love our state, and I love every part of it, including the strength we have in agriculture. And our economy is so dependent on the exporting of agricultural goods. These tariffs have killed commodity prices. There's not a bean farmer in Missouri that's going to come out even this year. And the, the help that they're being given, frankly, in some instances is insulting. Corn, a penny a bushel, it's not a, almost not worth the effort. Um, they said a buck sixty for beans. Well, now Purdue, Sonny Purdue, has just announced that it'll only be eighty cents, and then they can't even promise they're going to get the rest of the eighty cents. Farmers are trying to plan, and the market in China is being destroyed. We've worked years to establish a market for beans in China. It took a lot of money. The farmers of this state are one out of every three or four rows of beans in Missouri goes to China. And this is uh, Holly's response to the question about tariffs. The truth is we need somebody who's going to stand up for farmers, and that's exactly what I'll do. Now, that as to the tariffs, uh, listen, we are in a trade war. It is a trade war that we did not start. Certainly our farmers didn't start it. China started it uh, many years ago. But if we're going to be in the war, I'm for winning it. And I think that we've got to stand up and look to win it. Now, I think this president has had recent success that's tremendous in Canada and Mexico, our two largest trading partners. About 75% of our agriculture exports go there. That's a great victory. I wish Senator McCaskill would have been willing to stand up earlier to the people who've been ripping off our farmers or just praise the president for the good work he's done with this agreement. Not, not a huge amount of new ground there. There was a part where, like, Holly accused McCaskill of not returning the calls of Farm Bureau President Blake Hurst, which was kind of notable. And I think McCaskill basically responded by saying, I talk to farmers all the time, and commodity groups don't necessarily represent all farmers. But do you think that there was anything striking about this exchange that could uh, impact how people in rural Missouri may end up voting? Well, I think it depends how angry some farmers are, especially those who grow soybeans. They have been hammered over this. Um, McCaskill is correct um, that they've lost their Chinese market. And whether or not they'll be able to get it back when the dust settles, who knows? Now, um, Holly is taking a Trump side. Trump is taking a longer view on this, although he has offered some um, financial help to these farmers. McCaskill was laying out what the what the what that help would be and how it's a fraction of how much they would really lose. But I think that um, it did crystallize the arguments. I mean, Hawley is standing with the president saying that this is a fight worth having and it's and and on the long haul we'll come out better for it. Uh, whereas McCaskill was saying, yeah, but there's going to be a lot of people suffering and there's got to be a middle ground on this. I mean, that that was the bottom line. Yeah, it's really interesting to see how McCaskill is reacting to this compared to other Democrats in states where, you know, the tariffs could benefit, like, manufacturing entities. Like uh, Brendan Kelly in Illinois, 12th District, he has said that he generally is for the tariffs, but he wasn't really in favor of them being placed on the allies. But he was totally fine with them being placed on China. So just goes to show that there's not unanimity on this. And, you know, Roy Blunt has been opposed to the tariffs. So there's not unanimity on the Republican side. Uh, moving on, there was another interesting exchange when the topic of guns and gun rights and gun violence came up. There was a, there was a very eloquent question by one of the audience members about what the the two candidates would do to stem gun violence. 
Um, and this was the response first of Senator McCaskill. Of course, I support the Second Amendment. But what the NRA has peddled for years is that you can't support the Second Amendment and gun safety at the same time. And you can. I was raised in a household where, uh, in rural Missouri where um, my dad hunting was something that we all knew we had to get out of the way because it was way more important to him at a certain time of the year than any of us. But that doesn't mean that we can't have gun safety measures. Uh, I support universal background checks, have voted for it. We came very close to passing it. Uh, the NRA was working as hard as it possibly could to stop universal background checks. I support banning bump stocks. That too, you would think after Las Vegas that would be so easy for us to get done. But no, there are way too many people, including most of the Republicans, that are afraid of the NRA. I, th I think we've got to, we, we have our intelligence community telling us that there are people that are so dangerous terrorists that they can't fly in our airplanes, but they can go to any gun show in America. And in fact, terrorist magazines have advised them to do so. And this is what Holly had to say on that issue. As the father of two young sons, when we, my wife and I drop our boys off at school or send them anywhere, we want them to be safe. And you know what, they deserve to be safe, just like your son deserves to be safe and you deserve to be safe. And so I think we need to do everything that we can to keep firearms out of the hands of criminals, out of the hands of folks who are dangerous, the mentally ill and unstable. So here's where I would start. I think we need to fix the national background check system. We have a background check system, a national system, but it doesn't work that well because there's a giant loophole right in the middle of it. And that is it doesn't include mental health records. It doesn't allow folks to actually see has there been a mental health incident in this person's past. We need to fix that background check system so folks can see. You look at many of the, uh, the terrible atrocities that have been committed just in recent months. Oftentimes, I think most times, the perpetrator unfortunately has some sort of mental health incident in their background that maybe local law enforcement knew about, but the folks who sold the firearms didn't or the, the federal agents didn't. Joe, as I'm sure you know, Gun rights can be a very tricky issue for both parties. On, on the one hand, if you come out saying you don't want any restrictions on firearms, you alienate suburban voters in, say, you know, St. Louis County or Jackson County. On the other hand, if you come out full-throated for really restrictive regulations on guns, you have the possibility of alienating the rural parts of the state. In fact, I read a book about Thomas Eagleton who ran on a very vigorous pro-gun control campaign in 1968, he almost lost and then made the decision he was never going to do that again and actually became an NRA supporter after that. So I know guns haven't been as big of an issue in this race maybe in years past, but how do you think these two candidates kind of square on that issue, which does affect voting behavior quite a bit in Missouri? Well, I think um, in McCaskill's case in particular, she's trying to tread a line because uh, she emphasized that she's for bans on bump stocks and some other things. I think she's trying to appeal to some, uh, or at least not turn off, let's put it that way, some rural voters who uh, feel strongly about their guns but realize that in some cases maybe there needs to be some protections, at least in cases, let's say, of domestic violence or, 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 the, or the mental health issues that uh, Holly mentioned. The fact that Holly was talking about fixing the um, uh, registry, I mean, the, the background, the checks, background yeah. checks, which I thought was significant for him because he's trying to appeal to suburban voters who may feel that he's too close to the NRA. Now, one of the uh, problems uh, is that 
you can go to gun shows and you can just buy guns without background checks. And that's what she mentioned, that if you're going to fix it, you need to make it that gun shows are included in background checks. And Holly didn't really go that far. It was unclear if he would support that or not. So I think each of their aims, he was trying to kind of placate some suburban voters. She was trying to placate some rural voters. And um, time will tell whether or not they each or either made some ground that way. And the last part I want to really touch on is from an audience question about what each of the candidates would do to bridge longstanding divisions between African-Americans and Missourian law enforcement. This has been a I don't want to say this has been an issue since 2014 in Ferguson. It's, it's been an issue far longer than that. It's probably been an issue since Jim Crow and slavery. But it clearly has been a top of mind for a lot of people in the St. Louis area since Michael Brown's shooting death. This is first is McCaskill's response to the audience member's question. And what we found was we were having a great deal of difficulty getting witnesses to help us solve homicides because of a lack of trust in the neighborhood. No one wanted to talk to the police, much less put it out there and, and, and nail somebody for a homicide. So we uh, began working on community policing. And not only did we do community policing, we went a step further and did community prosecution. So that in all the neighborhoods, especially those that were really struggling with high crime rates, uh, the neighbors knew who the police officers were that they could call and trust and they even knew which prosecutor to call and trust. We've got to get back to the point where police officers are not just answering 911 calls. They need to establish roots in a community because this is all about trust. This is all about people in the community feeling that the police are working in their best interests and the police understanding that the vast majority of the people in that neighborhood need nothing more than protection from them. And that's how we rebuild this. We can do it again if we could get the right resources into community policing, and the federal government can help with that. By the way, McCaskill was talking about her experience as Jackson County prosecutor, which was the position that she held before she became state auditor and before she became U.S. senator. Here is what Holly had to say on that on the issue of race relations and African-American police relations. My bedrock principle is that every person and every community in this state deserves the fair and equal protection of the rule of law and the fair and equal benefits of the rule of law. Those protections from violence, those protections for personal safety, those protections for, for what you want to do with your life. And I think that's vitally important. Part of what I do as Attorney General and am empowered to do under the law is every year we assemble a report about where people are stopped, vehicle stops in the state. We get it from all of the data, from all the different law enforcement agencies in the state. We put it together and it's supposed to help show, you know, who's, what are the racial backgrounds of people being stopped? Why were they stopped? Where do they come from? We've made some important changes uh, to that stop, uh, to get or to that report rather, to get more information that'll help us understand. And I think taking steps like that, where we promote this dialogue, as you were talking about, between law enforcement and local communities is critical. I do want to say that as, a, as somebody who works with law enforcement, with cops from all across the state, I do think that our, I know that our cops are working hard and that they want to, they want to bring the fair and equal protection of the rule of law. I think they're doing a great job. They're certainly out there risking their lives. And by the way, cops from every neighborhood, from every city, from all kinds of backgrounds, they're doing a great job and it's, it's a privilege to get to work with them. Thank you for your question. So after the debate, I had the, the pleasure to talk to Tyell McNary, 
who was the person who asked that question. And he didn't think that either one really addressed his question to his satisfaction. And he went on to say this. I don't think they're taking the, the issue seriously. I think that um, as African-Americans in a pretty tough community in a tough neighborhood, we're being grouped in together. We're kind of being demonized and um, we're being hung out to dry. Um, we want to be safe. We want to live our lives safely. Um, we want to go and work and we want to be productive members of society, too. It's kind of hard to do that looking over your shoulder all the time. It's been four years since Ferguson. There was a lot of talk from political leaders how they were going to make Michael Brown's death a catalyst for policy change. The widespread view is that high-level political leaders like McCaskill and Holly have not actually followed through on the, on, the, on the work that needs to be done. Now, granted, a lot of it needs to be done on a local and state level, and the federal level is more of a support. But what do you make of their responses to that question and the fact that the person who asked the question really didn't feel like his question was answered. Well, I think that this, again, uh, points out some um, partisan realities. In the case of McCaskill, while she you know, supports certain things, the point is the Democrats are in a minority in Congress and also in Jefferson City. So even if they say, well, even if they make comments that someone like Terrell would, would like— they can't get it through uh, because the Republicans in the General Assembly, and I'm not whining, I'm just saying it's a fact, don't want these changes. Now, one of the, some of the changes that were done in the, in the wake of the um, Michael Brown shooting, some of the stuff as far as the local courts and that sort of thing, part of that law was tossed out by the state Supreme Court because, frankly, African-American communities were being treated differently than other communities as far as some of the restrictions. I mean, even I'm not a lawyer, but I had said from the get-go I thought that was going to be a legal problem. And just to and explain it, what you're talking yeah. about, because the percentages were different in St. Louis County and the rest of the state about how much uh, fine money could be in their budget, I mean, it clearly affected poorer African-American-led cities compared to richer white cities. Well, like it, it, there's no there's no debate over that. And 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 the crafters knew that. Now, in some cases they felt they they needed to deal with that because some of those communities had problems, but and some advocates there supported those changes. But what those advocates did not support was uh, white areas, rural white areas of the state being treated differently. Right. So the but this is kind of a reflection of that. Until there's sort of a coming together of both parties uh, in the state and nationally, on what, at least on some things that can be done, nothing's going to get it done. So in the last couple of minutes that we have, because we are running a little long this week. Sorry. I, I, I do want to talk about something that happened before the debate, and that is the release of these Project Veritas videos where somebody came into Claire McCaskill's campaign, apparently under false pretenses. Yeah, they, they said they were an intern. They, I mean, that they wanted to volunteer. They did so early on, I mean, like months ago. And they recorded a bunch of staffers in McCaskill saying a bunch of things about gun rights and about abortion rights. And look, I'm going to be really candid here. Like, we all know that Claire McCaskill supports abortion rights. And by we, we mean reporters. It's not a huge secret. It's also not a huge secret that she supports some forms of gun control because she's voted on that and she has like been and, pretty upfront about it. And, but she was she, upfront about it in the debate. Right, like, right, it, right. So 
the the candidness I'm saying is a lot of the stuff is not terribly revelatory to reporters. Now, no. is it revelatory to average voters? I have no idea. But I do know that uh, certainly Claire McCaskill's campaign is really upset about the way these videos were gathered. David Kirby held a, a press call. He's a he's your campaign manager about how they were they were they were going to uh, pursue possible legal action and wanted. Attorney- and they did file a suit. They filed a suit before the debate on Thursday. So this is what David Kirby had to say about this. This cannot be the new normal in Missouri politics. We cannot have people perpetrating fraud, going into campaigns, obtaining videos under false pretenses in violation of laws. Josh Hawley's supposed to be protecting us from fraud as attorney general, and he's not. And what they wanted to do was have Holly appoint like a special prosecutor through his official office to look into this based off of violations to the Missouri Merchandising uh, Merchandising Products Act. I think yeah. that's what it's called. Yeah, and basically that it's it has some very strong anti-fraud uh, provisions. The one question that I did ask Kirby is Missouri is a one-party consent state when it comes to recording people. Like you don't have to actually tell somebody that you're recording somebody when you're doing it. So I asked him if that would be complicated to actually pursuing like a legal action against Project Veritas or, or whoever did this. You know, I would just, you know, Attorney General Josh Hawley has used the Merchandising Practices Act in a very broad way as you all well know, um, over the past year and a half, we are very confident that there is a cause of action here under that statute. And I think the attorney general would agree if you asked him. And this was Holly's response on his Twitter reca- Twitter account. Let's review the, t- the last 24 hours. Claire McCaskill and staff caught on tape telling the truth. Two, McCaskill accuses me of fraud. Three, McCaskill demands Missouri give her special prosecutor to investigate her truth-telling. Senator, accusing people of crimes is a serious thing. If you have evidence of a crime, please come forward with it immediately. Otherwise, stop. Please stop politicizing the legal process for your reelection. Does anything come of this? Is this just a blip, or do you think this could have impact on on the campaign? Well, I think from the standpoint, I think she's looking at the broader issue here. Um, Project Veritas has tried different. Well, they're always putting people undercover, different things. But uh, they're saying that this was the first time it was a U.S. Senate campaign, and that they're concerned that now senators or other candidates are going probably should be wary of anybody who says they want to volunteer. Um, they have to kind of pay close attention to their actions uh, because they might be a mole. And I think that there has been controversy periodically in Missouri if there's been accusations about a mole before in different campaigns. This is the first time where there was actually video involved. Now, one of the interesting things is that the state Democratic Party now has a sign on all of its uh, campaign offices that makes clear that um, uh, recording is not allowed unless it's with their approval. The idea being they can have a press conference there, but as far as you doing it, uh, just going in and secretly uh, taping somebody that that's illegal and that the any such tape is their property. So I think that um, this might have an impact on campaigns in the state. I don't think, and especially in this case, because of just what you said, there was nothing new in those videos. They were off, also grainy. It was unclear if they were how they were edited. So frankly, every news outlet, even the ones that made reference to it, 
We didn't highlight the videos themselves because there was no way to verify that the comments that were being made <coughs> excuse me, were accurate. But um, as I said, the general theme of them was that she takes money from abortion rights groups. Duh. She, yeah. It's not been a secret. And the fact that she's benefiting <laughs> from Emily's list means that She's, She's benefiting from a group that supports abortion rights. Yeah, Emily's List only gives to candidates who support abortion rights. McCaskill also has gotten money directly from Planned Parenthood's political arm. The uh, video implied that the, that she doesn't. That was inaccurate. Um, it talked about her positions on guns. It was virtually everything that she said at the debate. She's not made a secret from that. One of the videos also was basically that she likes Barack Obama. Duh, she was one of the first U.S. senators to endorse him when he opted to run for president back in 2007. That is not news. It is not news. I remember being on the conference call when that happened. Man, I feel old at this point. Joe, (laughs) we're out of time. Next week, we're going to talk all about Amendment 1, the measure known as Clean Missouri. We're going to spend the entire show talking about it because I, I made the snap decision that it requires more than just a 15-minute cursory conversation. We're going to spend a solid half hour talking about it. Until then, Jay Rosenbaum is where you find me on Twitter. You can find Joe on Twitter at... Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And a very special thanks to our friends at the Nine Network, Five on Your Side, and all the folks here at St. Louis Public Radio that made the debate happen. I thought it was a very well-organized in a very substantive debate, and listen to it or watch it if you haven't already. And a special thanks to the candidates. It couldn't happen if they both weren't willing to show up and lay out their views. Yes. Thank you very much to both McCaskill and Holly for making it happen. Until then, so long. Just think about it. Just think about it. Lately I've been skeptical Silent when I would use to speak Distant from all around me To witness me fail and become weak Life is overwhelming Heavy is the head that wears the crown I'd love to be the one to disappoint you when I don't fall down Sponsored by Lou Fuse Alfa Romeo of Metro East